Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. John had written earlier in this gospel concerning Jesus. He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world in contrast to the nation. Jesus is the savior of the world. And only Jesus is the savior of the world. There are no other saviors. Never have been. Never will be. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57, in a message titled, The Unwitting Prophetic Voice. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Jesus would say things like that, and then he would say, and the third day, he's going to rise. They would get together with each other afterward, and they would look and say, what in the world is he talking about? What does he mean? Rise from the dead. What is that? And of course, they were asking those questions because nobody thought he was ever going to die. On one occasion where Jesus, again, kind of spells out that same, that same scenario, Peter, he says to Jesus, never. Lord, that is never going to happen to you. We're not going to let that happen to you. So my point is, no one's thinking that Jesus is going to die so the nation doesn't perish. And of course, Caiaphas wasn't thinking that at all, but that's exactly what he says. And he said that because that is what the prophets did say. Even though at the time, those prophecies were ignored by the majority of people, because after all, who's looking for a Messiah that's going to come and then be killed? That's not a good Messiah. So even though those, those statements were there in the biblical text, those were ignored. So Caiaphas ends up prophesying what the others had prophesied before him. He prophesied what Isaiah prophesied regarding the suffering servant. In the third, uh, 53rd chapter of Isaiah, some of you have read that chapter, some of you are familiar with it. In that 53rd chapter of Isaiah, remember Isaiah lives 700 years before Jesus is born. And here's part of the prophecy Speaking of the Messiah, he was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The chastisement that brings us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So Isaiah is, is prophesying about this one who is pierced, this one who is wounded, but he's wounded for others that others might be healed. This is really what John the Baptist had proclaimed years earlier. When John the Baptist came onto the scene and he was understanding that he was the one to identify the Messiah, he sees Jesus there near the Jordan River in the crowd. He sees Jesus as a face in the crowd and he says to his followers, he says, look at that man. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John didn't know what that meant. 
John didn't even know that Jesus was going to die on a cross. But prophetically, he says he's the Messiah. He takes away the sin of the world. But this is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said to Nicodemus, maybe you remember, it's recorded for us in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Remember the words of Caiaphas? Better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. Here's an interesting little side note. Nicodemus, whom Jesus said this to, is sitting in the room when Caiaphas is speaking. He's part, of the, he's part of the Sanhedrin, as well as another man named Joseph of Arimathea. So two men in that group of 70, we know at least two of them that actually would come to put their faith in Jesus later, recognizing that even though Caiaphas didn't know it, he was prophesying. And then he was saying what the apostles would go into the world, proclaiming that God made Christ who knew no sin to become a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness that God accepts in him. So Caiaphas unwittingly becomes one of the first gospel preachers. Caiaphas unknowingly is an evangelist. He's proclaiming the gospel that Christ would die for sin so that others would live. So the very thing that Caiaphas is trying to stop, he's unknowingly helping to fulfill. Amazing. Now, John, in commenting on this in the 51st verse that we already read, in commenting on the words of Caiaphas Did you notice that John expands the scope of the death of Christ to include all people, not just the Jewish nation? So among the Jews, the understanding was that the Messiah would come as the the savior, the deliverer of the Jewish nation. He's the king of Israel. They were not thinking in terms of him saving the whole world. But John has, of course, come to understand that. He's writing this gospel after all of these things have happened. So John has come to understand that Jesus is the savior of all people, not just the people of Israel. John had written earlier in this gospel concerning Jesus. He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world in contrast to the nation. The majority of Jews thought in terms of Messiah saving the nation, God's plan was for Jesus to save the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. And only Jesus is the savior of the world. There are no other saviors. Never have been. Never will be. Now, that's hard for people to swallow. A lot of people think that, well, you know, how can you say that? That just sounds so arrogant that you say that your prophet is the only one. What about our prophet? What about our religious tradition? What about what we believe? And you can understand that to some degree. And I think sometimes we, even as Christians, we 
lend to that kind of an attitude because we don't explain Jesus in his historical context. You see, we have to go back to the very beginning of time. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene 2,000 years ago and just out of nowhere come along and say, hey, I'm the savior of the world. You should believe in me. The prophecies about his coming go back to the very dawn of time. And I think sometimes we need to communicate that to people. We need to communicate that, you know, there was a time when there were only two human beings on the earth. There's eight billion now. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? When you look at just how many people there are in the world. I was in Montreal, Canada yesterday, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and man, the streets were just packed with people. People from everywhere, people from all nations. Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists, of course, and just everything, Christians, all different kinds of people out there. And we come along and say, Jesus is the only way. He's the only savior of the world. And and they think, well, wait a minute. What about my tradition? What about, I, I grew up in a place I never even heard of Jesus. And now you're telling me I have to believe in Jesus. But we have to, again, go all the way back to the beginning before there were all of these people, before there were all of these various religious expressions. We go all the way back to the beginning and we find that God says to the first two people that he created in a relationship with him that that relationship was broken because of sin. God says that he's going to mend that. He's going to repair that. He's going to fix that. He's going to undo what they have done, and he's going to do it by sending a Savior. The very first promise of a worldwide Savior is in the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And in the first two chapters of the Bible, you know what you have? You have the account of creation. You have the account of creation, how everything came into existence, and how human beings were created in the image of God, and Male and female, he created them. And then the very next chapter, you have what is called the fall, where those two human beings are living in a relationship with God. God gives them one thing they're not to do. He gives them a thousand things they can do, but one thing they're not to do. And guess what? They do the one thing he tells them not to do. And because they do that, the relationship is severed. But God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal it. I'm going to mend it. I'm going to restore. And there's another person involved in the story. The person is the devil. And it's through the influence of the devil that, that all of this happens. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is actually talking to the devil. And this is what he says. He says, I'm going to put an enemy between you and the woman and between your descendant and her descendant. And he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. And so the very first promise was that God would send a savior to destroy the devil and the work of the devil. To crush his head means to give him a mortal blow. But in the process, you will bruise his heel. In the process, the Messiah was wounded. He suffered death himself, but he rose again from the dead. 
See, this is a story that is, this is history. This goes all the way back. And this truth is, there's a thread that runs from there to this very day. What I'm saying is that as Christians, we need to tell people the full story sometimes. To help them understand why we are saying that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the ancient promise. And through death, he destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he freed all those who trust in him from the grip of death. And in doing all of that, he did exactly what Caiaphas prophesied. One man died so that the world would not perish. But John, again, he sees something beyond what they saw at the time. He sees this global thing. And so he says not only that that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, but that he would also die for the scattered children of God and bring them together and make them one. Now, he is gathering his scattered people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and he's making them one. You see, this is what the church is. The church is made up of people from every nation, every background, every culture, every ethnicity. That's God's desire to bring us all together and to make us one. You know, we have sort of the phenomenon today. It's, it's, this is not new, but it's become exaggerated in our day. We have nationalistic churches. We have churches that are more focused on nationalism. They're more identified with the country than they are with the kingdom of Christ, which is multi-ethnic, multicultural. And whenever you have that kind of emphasis, it's the wrong emphasis. That was the emphasis of, of these people, of these Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees. They were nationalistic. No Messiah is going to save the world. The Gentiles, forget them. They're, we're not interested in them. The Messiah is for us. And so we need to remember that. God is, he's the savior of all people. Yesterday, we celebrated an anniversary. I mentioned this earlier that we celebrated an anniversary, Cheryl and I, but she didn't know about it. Uh, she didn't remember. It wasn't our wedding anniversary. She remembers that one. I would be more likely to forget that one than her. But we celebrated an anniversary yesterday. Yesterday was uh, the anniversary. 26 years ago yesterday, uh, our family moved to London to plant a church in that great city. Now, years before we moved there, I had had a dream to have a church that was made up of people from all nations. Now, I don't, 
honestly know why I had that, that dream, that passion. I, evidently, it was just something that God put in my heart. And, and it was partially due from influences, things I, I would read. And I, I used to read, I read the biography of, of one of my favorite preachers, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he pastored a church right in the center of London. And it would, in, in the biography, it would describe how he would preach the gospel every Sunday night. And mostly university students, but, but people would come from all of these different nations. And the room would be packed with people from the African nations and the Asian nations and the European nations. And, and I remember I used to read that and I think, oh, that would just be amazing. Well, the Lord called us and we went there and we got to taste a little bit of that. And at one time we counted that there were 55 different nations represented in our little church there in London. It was amazing. We used to have meals after church every, you know, once a month or something on a Sunday. And boy, I'll tell you, all kinds of fascinating foods. That's one of the beauties of, of, of multi-ethnic experiences, right? You get to eat all the, like, these amazing foods that you wouldn't normally get. But anyway, this is the church. The church is every tribe, tongue, people. Now, in some communities, obviously, there's not the kind of diversity within the community to be able to have that sort of a thing. But in a place where there is that diversity, the church should look like the culture. If there's a church planted in a community that is multi-ethnic and the church is just strictly one ethnicity, that is a problem. God wants us all to be coming together. He's bringing us all together as one from all of the different nations. Now, I still have that dream, and I do see that he's giving us a taste of that here now. So I grew up in this area. I went to, I grew up in just over the bridge in Huntington Beach and went to school there. And, you know, back in the days when I was growing up, this area was just almost completely white middle class, almost completely. There was one black student in my high school of a couple thousand people, one. And there were maybe 10 Hispanics. Well, things have changed, haven't they? And thank God, things have changed. And now there's all of this diversity and it just lends itself to a more amazing experience of what God intended when he sent the Holy Spirit out to gather in his people from all around the world. And I thank God that that happened in our area. I thank God for that diversity in Orange County. And I believe that there's so many people, the scattered children of God right in our county that have come here from all different places around the world that have come here so they could be exposed to the gospel, so they could hear about the Savior. 
And so let's never forget that. Jesus died to gather us from every nation and make us one. Let's realize that and live it out to its fullest. So let's trust God to deal with the powerful and evil people of this world. Remembering what we just talked about. God is sovereign. God is in control. You might look at things and think, I don't, I don't like this. And I can be quite honest with you. I don't like a lot of things I see either. But I also am able to see that even though I see things I don't like, I believe God is at work even through those things. And so I can, I can rest in that. I can have confidence in that. And so trusting God to deal with powerful, evil people of this world and let us spend our time and energies on the mission of drawing in those who are scattered and making them one with us. See, we've got a mission. The church is not to be backpedaling on our heels because, oh no, what's happening out there and what are they going to do to us? If the apostles had had that mindset, the gospel never would have gone beyond Jerusalem. They went out on the offensive, not on the defensive. They went out to confront the kingdom of darkness and to see people delivered from the power of Satan and turn to God They had the upper hand. They knew they had the upper hand. God was with them. God is with us. So here's what you can do. You can leave the big picture of the world that you can do very little about. Some could do more than others. Maybe all of us can do a little bit. That's good. We should. But the bigger picture, things that you just cannot control at all, guess what? You don't have to control it because God's in control. And you can leave it right there with God. And know that even like a wicked, evil person, like Caiaphas, who is the high priest, even he, with a heart full of hatred, who wants to see Jesus dead, he prophesies that Jesus is going to be the one to save the world. So you can just rest in that. And focus on what God is doing in the world. God is drawing in today still his scattered children from all over the place to make them one. And just think about that. And just lay your burdens down and rest and trust the Lord and thank him for his faithfulness. And if you've never met Jesus, today is a great opportunity to meet him. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus is here. He's, he's alive. He's real. He's present. And you can just simply say to him, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. You're the savior of the world. I want you to save me. And he will. He will do it. And you will know it. And everybody around you will know it as well.
the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. Our current culture sometimes gives the impression that science has disproved the existence of God. But Dr. John Lennox argues that this is hardly the case. In a clear and simple writing style, Dr. John Lennox presents evidence that science not only fails in disproving the existence of God, but also shows how science and God are compatible. He also tackles the myth that religion depends on faith, but science does not, and that science depends on reason, but Christianity does not. Dr. Lennox also offers a way to scientifically disprove Christianity, but is unable to do so because of the overwhelming evidence. If you want to understand the relationship between science and God, or if you know a person who thinks science and God are mutually exclusive, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.